what a joy it is to be with you this morning. And uh, let me just get the uh, words out of the way that I want to thank you all uh, for your prayers, for my family, and for your love and support over these last three months. Um, just amazing outpouring of God's grace through the church family and through people we don't even know uh, that have poured out for us. And uh, I want to thank you for that. Uh, I was just talking to Bonnie and, of course, have talked to Jean. And, and you know, we're, we're still on this roller coaster. And, and so there may be something that comes out in this that I may lose it, and that's okay. Just bring me a tissue if I do that, and we'll go from there. And uh, sweet Charlene Roop yesterday to our staff um, quoted from memory the entire book of First Thessalonians. And, of course, she was just making the word of God come alive. Just The word she had hidden in her heart touched all of our hearts that she shared shared that yesterday and of course when she got to the verse that we who are still alive will be caught up with them together in the air you know just brought tears to my eyes but joy to my heart knowing that the hope that we have in Christ so we're going to look at Philemon and and I will say right at the beginning there's a lot of names in this book and a lot of places and uh, I'm from Alabama so the pronunciation may be Alabamanese and so forgive me if it's not politically correct on the pronunciation, but I've never taught this letter of Paul, and so it's been a joy to go through it and to glean some things that I did not know you could pull so much from just 460 words, 25 verses, and yet packed in that letter is just some great things that I think God can encourage us with today. This is Paul's briefest letter but it's also his most personal letter. And uh, great lessons we can learn. It, it's been called a masterpiece of letter writing. It's been called the brilliant letter of reconciliation in ancient history. And as such, it can be a great help to all of us if we care to enhance our human relationships, especially those in the body of Christ where we have a special stake in each other's lives. Um, so what I would like to do, since it's a brief letter and we only have the one session together, is to read through the letter in its entirety and then go back with it, through you kind of verse by verse or portion by portion and maybe make a few comments, bring out a few uh, nuggets of truth maybe from there, and then uh, look at a couple of things that I think we can uh, use to spur some maybe some healthy conversation in your small groups in a little bit. And uh, I am, and if you would, when you see my children around the church, uh, remind them that uh, their dad was using an iPad to teach from. They will be so impressed. Actually, they'll be shocked, but I can't believe. So if this thing goes out, we're lost. All right, here we go. And uh, I may be reading more than I want to this morning from there. So um, but anyhow, let's, uh, let's hear the word of the Lord, the letter of Paul to Philemon. Again, this is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon, a wealthy Christian from Colossae. It's intended to be read to him and his family and to the church that was meeting at his house. So hear this letter that is read to God's people. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Phia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church, in your house. Grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. God, indeed, let the uh, reading and hearing and study of your word this morning bring great joy to our hearts. I'm convinced that whenever we go to your word, whatever chapter, whatever book, whatever verse, it is your word, so you speak to us through it in different ways, depending on where we are in our relationship with you or the circumstances of our life. You speak through your living word, so we ask that you would do that to each of our hearts this morning. Through this short little letter, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This book was probably written around 62 AD during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. And if we'll go back through just to real quickly look at the verses as we go back through and let me make a few comments. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, right at the very outset, we find that Paul does not find his identity in his circumstances. He, Yes, he was a prisoner of Rome, but that's not how he states it. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Our identity is not in our circumstances. Our identity is in whose we are. And so he is a disciple of Jesus Christ, proclaiming him, living for him, following him wherever he is. And he just happens to have the opportunity now 
to be a disciple from the heart of a Roman prison. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Two, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Thea, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So uh, most historians believe Athea is Philemon's wife, and Archippus is their son. And so he's writing this letter not only to him, but to his family and to the church in your house. And so we can determine from this and from what we will find in a minute that um, Philemon was a wealthy man. He had slaves, as was the custom of that day for wealthy people to have slaves. And his house was obviously large enough to contain the church that met there. And then we find in verse 3 Paul's general greeting that he has in all of his letters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that phrase as he greets these people is just his signature and his mark and uh, reminding them that everything we have is by God's grace and that his peace from God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remind each other, don't we, often that grace and peace from God is what we claim and live on. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 through 7 shows Paul's love for Philemon and his heart for the saints. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul cannot even mention Philemon's name without expressing his thanksgiving for who he is. We'll find later that Philemon was a convert of Paul's ministry, and so he's a disciple of Paul. And so he is just thanking his disciple for how he sees him continuing what he had been taught in training others and in loving others and loving the body of Christ. So he overflows with thanksgiving. And then we come to the meat of the letter. Paul's plea. Starting with verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very own heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve you on our behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, not, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So here we go, the meat of the letter. You see, Paul started this letter off by graciously talking to Philemon and giving him encouragement and, and telling him he loved him. And then all of a sudden he goes into the heart of the letter, but he has set the stage, has he not, in the way that he has constructed this letter. He's got 
Philemon's attention now. What we find here is a couple of nuggets of truth. Gentle persuasion. Like I said, this letter is a masterful example of gentle persuasion. Paul does not flex his apostolic muscle. He says, though I could command you to do this, though as your, the apostle I could say this to you, but he gently nudges Philemon in the right direction to consider the right things for the right reasons. Later in the letter, you'll, you'll find he writes him, so if you consider me a friend, and he goes back to that and keeps that same pattern. He's not forcing what, is to, what he wants him to do, but encouraging him to come to it on his own and to, and to gently nudge him there. One of the most important things we find here in this, in this section is the providence of God. And this, to me, just is amazing. Most incredible thing offers is a reminder that the providence of God is at work to accomplish his will even in areas and circumstances and through people that we can't even imagine or we've never even dreamed of. So we find here that Onesimus was a slave. And if you follow the, follow the, the instruction here, he, he obviously ran away from Philemon. Looks like he stole a good bit of money from him. And some say that it was perhaps maybe Philemon was a harsh taskmaster or some reason that's why he ran away. But that's highly unlikely because of the heart that we see of Philemon and what Paul says of him. More probable, Onesimus was a lazy, ungrateful servant, and he had a dishonest streak, and he saw an opportunity to make off with a big chunk of his master's money, and he did it, and he left Philemon in financial straits. And though we don't know how Onesimus made his getaway, uh, more than likely he made his circuitous route and ended up in Rome where fugitive slaves went and got hid in the sordid details of the Roman world and the, the immorality and the darkness thereof and, and tried to just live his life in hiding. And uh, pretty soon, just like the um, prodigal son, he squandered his money away. And we don't know how that then Onesimus made his contact with Paul in the prison, but we read, read here that, that he became his son while he was in prison. So somehow he heard the gospel through Paul's teaching, and he became to faith. And this was not only just a conversion, but it was a genuine, heartfelt conversion that changed his life. He was truly converted and soon became endeared to Paul. And in verse 15, remember, Paul cautions Philemon that, perhaps Onesimus was separated you for a season that you might have him back forever. Maybe this was the reason, Paul says, that God orchestrated these events so that you could have him back with you, not only as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And so we find the providence of God working through these circumstances, making, having a slave run away and stealing from a master, and somehow in, in all of Rome finding Paul and hearing the gospel and knows that Paul knows his slave owner, and then we come to the point where he's going to be asking for Paul to send him back. In verse 15, Paul again says, perhaps Onesimus was separated for, you for a season that you might have him back forever. God could have orchestrated these events for him and Onesimus and Philemon. This situation appears to have divine fingerprints all over it. How God orchestrates human events 
while honoring man's freedom of choice is a mystery to us all. But it happens. We also find here in this body, this section, the verses right here that we're dealing with, that both Paul and Onesimus were convinced that the right thing to do was for Onesimus to return to his master, making right the earlier wrongs. To these godly men, the issue was not what is the safest thing to do, not what is best for us, but rather what is the right thing to do. That was character. Changed by the gospel, Onesimus wanted to do the right thing. It also speaks of the bravery and courage of this recent convert to want to do the right thing. He could have been whipped or branded or even killed. That was all proper for the slave owners to do for the slaves if they ran away or stole from them. Onesimus had no certain knowledge as of to his fate if he was to return, but he forged ahead anyway. How we need to learn to do the right things with great courage, knowing that we serve the living and true God and not men. We're so fearful of men, but we need to fear God and do the right things for the right reasons. Also, believe it or not, this letter to Philemon shows us here that the power of evangelism. Onesimus was a native of Phrygia. The slaves of Phrygia had a particular nasty reputation. In fact, it was said of them that uh, a Phrygian slave became better the more you beat him. And so they had a bad reputation. They were looked upon as scum of the earth, and they were just the down-and-out slaves. But in Onesimus, however, Paul was not a worthless Paul saw not a worthless cause, but he saw in him an opportunity for someone to be a servant of Christ, and he was not disappointed. Hear this. The gospel can work its power in any heart, no matter how bad, no matter what the reputation is, no matter what they have done, the gospel can change the heart, regardless of one's background or upbringing. Then they give you great hope that no one is too far from the grace of God and his gospel. All right, verses 17 through 20. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. The, um, I'm sorry, I, I missed one thing. If you go back up to verse 11, I love this little parenthesis in verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. I love the play on words there and the humor of Paul because Onesimus means useful. Formerly, he didn't live up to his name. Now he's living up to his name. He can be useful to you not only as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Sorry, I, missed, I, I love that. So we go here in verse 17. Again, Paul's back into this letter-writing style where he's trying to gently nudge Philemon to do the right thing. So... If you consider me your friend, and I hope you do, if you consider me your brother in Christ, then please consider bringing him back to you 
And if there's anything that is hindering you from bringing Onesimus back and welcoming him as a brother, uh, perhaps because he stole from you, you need to be repaid. If that's a barrier for you, then I will repay it. I will. He says he writes it in his own hand. He takes the pen from Timothy and says, I'm writing this. I will repay it. You can trust me. I will do this. If you... If he, owes, if he owes you anything, I will pay his debt. Who else do we know pays a debt that he didn't know to pay a debt we could not pay? Yeah. Christ Jesus paid that debt for us. He wrote it in his own blood. I mean, the, the pictures here, when you find in Scripture, just, anyhow, it's just awesome. To say nothing of you owing me your own self. In, in other words, Paul's reminding him that you came to faith through God, through my teaching. And so I want to be refreshed. I want to see that you are going to respond with the same grace that has been given to you, that you will give it to Onesimus when he comes back. And then verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke. The grace of the Lord be with you. So Paul not only is nudging Philemon to do the right thing, but he believes that he will do it. And he's saying, confident of your obedience. I know you're going to do this, and even that, you're going to follow through and do even more but prepare a room for me because I'm, I'm going to come check up on you later. But it's going to be by your prayers. He believes that God can answer Philemon's prayers for Paul to be released from prison. And so Paul just wants to make sure that Philemon knows this is the right thing to do. I'm gently nudging you. Do this, and I'll be checking on you. That's discipleship, isn't it? I mean, we have disciples, and we check up on them. We want to make sure that they're following through and doing the right things. And we call them out if they don't because we love them and we want them to walk in the truth. And so we just see the pattern of discipleship repeated all the way through this letter. A couple of other things that I want to point out now in the letter in a whole. This is a great um, letter of social influence. I mean, Paul was addressing here the issue not only of, the, the, of, of returning Onesimus to Philemon, but also the issue of slavery in general. In fact, this has been one of the letters that has been used by Christians over the years to say we have to uh, fight the wrongs of slavery, and, it, and it, it has been a social influence letter. Saying the right things and speaking the truth in love, as Paul did in this letter, can have a great impact. And here the issue, as I said, even though on a sidebar issue, was addressing the issue of slavery and social injustice of the time. First Timothy 1.9 says that the law, what, keeps a man in check, but only the gospel can truly change his heart. So you cannot legislate morality, but when the gospel changes a heart from within, he wants to do the right and moral things. And so... This whole letter just challenges us to remember that the gospel changes people's hearts from the inside out, and then it changes their actions. And Paul's letter, as I said, has been used of God to be a part 
that he has used to change humanity's attitude toward the institution of slavery. A well-spoken word can do more than just bless the hearer. It can have great effect. What it, uh, Proverbs, and I'm not going to remember the thing, says, a well-spoken word is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. And just making sure that you speak the truth in love at the right time, and it can have lasting influence, not only for the hearer, but for those in their circle of influence. This letter also packs an eschatological message. In other words, um, when you see here that Paul says you can have uh, Onesimus back forever. He's your brother now in Christ, and he says that word forever. Paul implies that now Onesimus and Philemon are beloved brothers, that the relationship is not one merely of time, but of eternity, and that the familial relationship, one of recognition, recognizing one another, will endure beyond the temporal aspect of this earthly life forever. Spiritual relationships are not destroyed by death. We recognize those who are our brothers and sisters in eternity. Doesn't that give you great hope, just encouragement, that we will recognize our brothers and sisters in Christ because they are our family forever? This letter also important, uh, stresses the importance of restoring broken relationships and helping others restore broken relationships. And so we find here that Paul wants to restore Philemon and Onesimus, and he will do whatever it takes to help them mend that broken relationship, even one that's broken by desertion and theft and whatever else, and how... Philemon's heart may have been hardened toward him. Paul's working to restore those relationships. We, we talk a lot in Christian circles about mending relationships with those people that we have in our life, that we have a broken relationship to, and we're encouraged to go to them and restore that relationship. But this goes a step further. We're to look for ways that we can help people who are, have broken relationships to help restore them. We're to help each other restore broken relationships. Finally, or, or another thing, is that this letter encourages us to, to say a good word first, to encourage one another, and then to gently nudge and challenge each other to grow in areas that we need to be reminded that we need to grow in. Paul didn't just attack Laman, um, but he came to him with great encouragement and great love. My beloved brother, um, if you consider me your friend, um, I thank God for you. I rejoice with you. You have brought me great joy. Now, consider these things. And it's this, our approach to one another when we're trying to help each other uh, grow in Christ or restore broken relationships. Here are a few things that I think this letter might lead in your discussions in your small group. These are the things that you might want to just jot a note down so you can talk about. First of all, are there relationships in your life, your own personal life, that you need to seek reconciliation over? Are there people in your life that maybe you've got a broken relationship over, like uh, Philemon and Onesimus had, their, their relationship was broken? Are there people that you know in your heart that you need to seek reconciliation, and it's on you to do it? Secondly, are there people in your life that you have influence over that you need to encourage to seek reconciliation. You know two, two 
friends that are kind of have a rift going now or two two groups of people and you have an influence over them and like Paul you want you need to reach out in love and say this is what you really need to consider and really help them mend a relationship third and I think this is a good thing to do over this coming Thanksgiving and Christmas season is there someone you need to encourage or challenge with a well written grace filled letter not just the mending broken relationship part but just the fact that this book of Paul is a letter that is grace filled it is encouraging it's um, challenging for him to grow in his faith it's it, it's a discipleship happening here in written form and so is there someone you can just bless and encourage with a well-written handwritten letter this season that would be a blessing to them Fourth, consider what are the issues we face today where relationships are broken over. Obviously, here we're dealing with slavery. But today, there are issues of homosexuality and abortion and those things that, that, are, that are just rummaging people's lives out there. What are those issues we face today that we need to look around and see how can we address and make a, make a change? We're not called to change people's hearts. But we are called to lovingly confront them with the gospel truths that can change their hearts and help restore brokenness. Next, when you speak, remember to be encouraging first, then address the issue at hand. Approach people with grace. My wife tells me all, all the time, tell them something good first before you tell them what they did wrong, okay? So just remind ourselves how we do approach people with grace. Lastly, are there people that you have given up on that you think God cannot change. I mean, if I were reading this and, and looking at the life of Onesimus, I would think, man, he's, a, he's one of the worst kind of slaves, and he's gone off, and he's stolen from his master, and he's run away to Rome, and he's hiding in an immoral city, and, and give up on him. Paul didn't. Sometimes we, we, we look at people and we think, man, no way God can reach them. They're too far gone. And sometimes we pray for people for a long time and then we stop praying for them because we don't see much change. But we just don't need to keep, we don't need to give up on people. No one is too far that the grace of God cannot reach them. And so consider people in your life that you can pray over that you may have given up on. Go to them and pray and seek to share the life-changing gospel. No one is too far away from God's reach. You know, the, the central gospel themes in this short letter that we've read today are surprisingly substantial. Philemon teaches us simply yet profoundly that the gospel transforms us from the inside out. God's grace in the gospel, therefore, has the power to reconcile people and transform relationships. And because Jesus is the ultimate reconciler who made peace on the cross, we must... Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, in all of our relationships, since we are one body with Christ who is our head. And in this way, the gospel will transform us from the inside out, not by compelling us against our will to love one another, but by changing the will itself, that we will have that desire in our hearts to truly love one another in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, indeed... Um, 
while not profound, that there's just so many truths in this little short letter about the way that you can transform hearts and restore broken relationships and and just reach people in the name of Christ through the gospel and that you are sovereign, that you orchestrate circumstances even though they seem crazy and unlikely. Somehow you work through our human decisions to allow your sovereign will to do its work. Thank you that you are in control over the affairs of our lives and that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, our identity is not in that circumstance, but it's in Christ. So help us to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, sharers of Christ, wherever we are whatever circumstance we find ourselves in and help us to look through the circumstances and find the grace of God and how you want to use us for your glory. So thank you for your word and thank you that obviously, um, as we find later in scripture, you did restore Philemon and Onesimus and that you used Onesimus in great ways to proclaim the gospel and the discipleship pattern continued. Help us truly, God, to see the sovereign hand of God at work all around us every day. Don't let us miss it. Thank you for your grace and for the joy of reading your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.